but is never consumed by the fire that surrounds it. And how does Moses react? He reacts with fear and doubt. Why would he include this in his autobiography? Why not say, look, I was like you, but I powered through. I held on despite my circumstances. No. Moses was a real human, flesh and blood teacher, and he had a greater point to teach the lonely wanderers. So we're in chapter 4 of Exodus. And we'll see that Pastor Moses wants to teach his people this. When you are afraid to speak, remember, God is at work in the universe. God can use even you. And when you think you can't go on, God will provide you with what you need to complete the task he's given you. So that's what we're going to learn. When you're afraid to speak, remember, God is at work in the universe. God can use even you. And when you think you can't go on, God will provide you with what you need to complete the task he has given you. In chapter 3 of Exodus, God gave Moses a task and a series of promises. He has a message to tell the Israelites that God has not forgotten them and is going to rescue them. And God has given us a task as well. And that's the reason why we're on earth. It's not something we have to do to earn our salvation or gain God's love. I'm sure you all know that. Jesus has already done that for us. But it's a sign that we know who we are and we know the greatness of what God has done for us. We find it in Jesus' parting instruction. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Sometimes we, like Moses, like the people of Israel, can forget this. We too can start to think that where we live now is all there is. It's our present home and our future hope. But often we don't forget it. We know this is our task and our purpose. We just really struggle to do it. I think we all know that feeling when the topic of conversation at work or at the pub suddenly turns to something that we know as a Christian means we're going to have to disagree with everybody else in the group. It's that kind of panicky adrenaline rush when we realize everyone's going to look at us and, and be like, what, you believe that? You're, isn't that a bit bigoted? Or, oh, it's really nice you have something to believe in. And that's the moment when we have a really simple but really difficult decision to make. Shall I keep my mouth shut? And hope the conversation moves on. Or shall I speak up? Shall I say something? Let's look at verse 1. Here, Moses says to God, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then have a quick look up to verse 18 of chapter 3. What does it say? The elders of Israel will listen to you. So you see what's happening here as Moses expresses his fear to God. He is telling God that he doubts a promise that he has just made. And I think it's the same for us. We actually doubt that God will help us to speak to our non-Christian friends and neighbours. We doubt that he's able to save them. They look really far away from him. We doubt that if they turn against us or if they hate us, then we are actually blessed. We doubt that obeying God rather than doing what is sensible and easy will be the best thing for us in the long run. 
So what? What is the answer to our fear and doubt? Do we just pull up our evangelism socks and give ourselves a firm talking to and then just get on with it? (coughs) Let's read on to see how God deals with Moses' fear and doubt. Verses 2 to 8 are a reminder that God is at work in the universe. Then the Lord said to him, What's that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Moses was a shepherd in the wilderness, and we see evidence of his healthy fear of snakes in these verses. Do you notice what happened when the staff turned into a snake? He ran from it. But he has to confront this fear, too, at God's command. How many of us would be tested to the limit if we were required to reach out and take a snake by its tail? But Moses obeys, and as the staff snake returns once more to its original state, he's given an insight into the awesome power of God Almighty. This God is not an illusionist. This is God the creator, who by the power of his word created the entire universe out of nothing. Just think about it. By God's will, a dead wooden stick became infused with life. Every cell is transformed into the cell of a living, breathing creature. Death to life, wood to snake, by the power of his word. Moses must have been utterly amazed. What a comfort to know that the God on whose behalf he would be speaking was so powerful. And there is more in verse 7. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Here God shows another aspect of his power and his sovereignty. He reminds Moses that even his own person is under the power of God. He is dependent on him in every second for his life and well-being. In an age where medicine was rudimentary and sickness usually meant death sooner or later, we see God comfort Moses with the truth of his power over life and death. It's like he's saying, look, look, Moses, You're standing there because of my goodness and faithfulness to you. You're alive because of me. Can't you trust me? And these are signs to pass on to the Israelites, to instill in them the same faith that he is building in Moses. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. And if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Here we see how gracious God is, how well he knows the human heart and the extent of our refusal to believe in him. Not one, not two, but three miraculous signs. Moses did the right thing. He took his fear to God and he received a wonderful answer. God reassured him, I am at work in the whole universe. And we need that reminder too, don't we? There's a major reason we're afraid to speak for our faith, that we're frightened no one will listen, that we think we'll be wasting our breath, or worse, losing friends and reputation. 
for nothing. We can take those fears to our kind Father God. And won't he remind us that he alone can bring life from nothing? Before there was anything, there was him. And he not only imagined, but brought into being every star in the sky and every freckle on our faces and every human that has ever existed. When we were dead in our sin, spiritual zombies, by the power of his spirit and Christ's death on the cross, he awakened our dead souls and brought us to faith in his son. So that no matter how things may look, he is still at work today to bring all things under Christ and to save his people and redeem this whole groaning world. He is at work and our witnessing is a chance to join in with what he is already doing. When we are afraid to speak, we need to remember that God is at work in the universe. Sometimes, though, we believe in our hearts absolutely that God is good and God can act. And yet we're afraid because, frankly, we just think we're no good at it. That's how Moses felt in verse 10, you can see. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. In a way, there's something good about this, isn't there? We all need to recognize that as evangelists, as Christians, we are not who we should be. We need to live a life of constant repentance repentance, and humbly recognize our failings and our needs. Moses could have said, Okay, Lord, leave it to me. I've been brought up and educated with the creme de la creme of Egyptian society. I'm tight with the Pharaoh's daughter. I've got this. That kind of self-reliance doesn't glorify God. On the other hand, there is a strange sense in which this inferiority complex of Moses is just as much about pride as that would have been. He doesn't want to try and fail. He acts as if it were all down to him and he can't manage it. And how does God respond? Verse 11. The Lord said to him, Who gave humans their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Moses, I can use even you. Again, we should see how beautiful this is. We think we know our weaknesses, and if God knew, he wouldn't ask us to do difficult things. He wouldn't expect so much of us. But God does know our weaknesses. He knows all our physical deficiencies. He knows all of our insecurities. He knows all the times we've been rejected because of our faith or we've lost an apologetic debate. He knows the times when we're laughed at in RE. We know, he knows the horrible experiences that we've had that paralyze us when we know we should speak. And what does he say? Oh yeah, you guys really suck. I'll find someone less broken and more capable. No, he doesn't. In verse 12, he says to Moses, Go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. It's a consistent theme that runs throughout the Bible. God doesn't just choose the obvious people, the shiny, happy people whose lives are all sorted, if there are such people. He chooses the weak and foolish things of this world to shame the wise. Because the truth is, it is not so much about us. It's about him. It's about his ability to take lumps of clay and form them into beautiful things. Things that bless the world and bring glory to him. 
Jesus himself came into a world of poverty and hardship, and he lived the life of a weary wanderer and died a shameful, agonizing death. And at the moment when he appeared weakest on the cross, the power of God worked in him to break the chains of sin and death and made a way for us to be free. You may feel that you're a terrible evangelist. I know I do sometimes. You can never remember the one big question answers that you've learned when the guy at the office asks you tough questions. Or you get yourself in a muddle explaining the gospel. Or you just feel like you're constantly on the defensive. You may think that God would be better off looking elsewhere for a representative. Friends, do not be disheartened. God promises that he will be with us and he is helping us, even when we think we're making things worse. He has given us his spirit, the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead, and that spirit is working through us. He can use even you and even me. Look back at Exodus. Here, Moses crosses a line. Up until this point in the narrative, there is no indication that he's done anything wrong in voicing his concerns and doubts to God. That's exactly what we should do with our fears. But Moses says, in verse 13, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. And then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. Why is the Lord angry now? What is it about Moses' refusal that causes divine displeasure? I think there are a couple of things. The first thing is that Moses has stopped asking questions And instead, he's the one using imperatives to God. Send someone else. It's no longer a dialogue. Moses has taken the position of commanding officer, as if he were the one calling the shots. I think, God of the universe, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-wise, that in this case, you've made a mistake, and it'd be much better if you listened to me. Moses has overstepped the mark. But there is more. Remember the background of this conversation. Moses' people are suffering under extreme, horrendous circumstances. An entire nation is enslaved. Day by day, they serve without pay and without choice. Moses and God have this in common. They have both seen the suffering of their people and heard their groaning. But they differ in this. Where God is preparing to act, Moses just simply doesn't care enough. Earlier in Exodus, he was moved to help a fellow Israelite who was being beaten. But it seems that something has changed his heart. Has he become so embittered and felt so rejected that he's no longer able to empathize with their suffering? Or is it a case of out of sight, out of mind? He has the option to ally himself with this God who can turn dead sticks into living snakes and who gives him breath and who is in control of the whole universe He can ally himself with that God to bring his people out of oppression into the freedom of worship. And he says, nah. It's so human, isn't it? Again, surprising that Moses would include this in the history of Israel. Hey guys, look how little I used to care about you. But once more, it feels like looking into a mirror for me. No matter how hard we find it, no matter how much we struggle, all that God asks from us is that we are willing and we try. He can take all our feeble efforts and turn them into something great, something the result of which we may never see this side of heaven. It's not, this is not to make us feel guilty, but it is worth asking yourself these questions. Have you stopped talking 
to God about your fears? Have you already made up your mind that the answer is no? Not here, not me. It's a risky thing to snatch the reins from God's hands and choose which of his requests you'll deny. And secondly, do you not speak because you just don't care? Maybe you've been hurt in the past and become bitter because of the way non-Christian friends or family have treated you. Maybe you've started to see the world and and started to roll your eyes at all the futile efforts and vain philosophies of the people around you and just don't feel any compassion for those that are trapped in the same cycles of sin and hopelessness that you have been freed from. We should praise God that he didn't feel the same about us. Ask him to melt your heart if this is the case and cause you to be so excited by the gospel that has changed your life and given you great hope that you cannot bear to keep quiet. The other day, I was in a restaurant when I realized a man who was leaving had just dropped his bank card. Now, I'm not in the habit at all of running after random strangers yelling, hey! But without thinking, I picked up his card and went after him down the street. Anybody would have done the same thing. But I hope and pray that my witnessing would become just as fearless and just as automatic. If only I could be so concerned about the needs of those around me that I didn't give a second thought to my own appearance or reputation. I pray that I be so mindful of the glory of the gospel and of the terrible plight of those who don't know Jesus that I wouldn't be able to keep quiet. And back in the passage, see once more how gracious is our God. Even in the face of Moses' outrageous disobedience, he provides him with what he needs to complete the task he has given him. In verse 14, God said, What about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you, and he'll be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak, and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so that you can perform signs of it. God does not expect us to complete this task all on our own. He's given us a community of people around us in the church, people to pray for us, keep us accountable, and remind us of the same things that God reminded Moses. His spirit is at work in us and in the world, bringing life and turning people to Christ. Not everyone is a super debater. You may not even be that outgoing. You might not be eloquent or brilliant, but whoever you are and wherever you will spend the rest of today, God is with you. His great commission still stands and he will equip you. He just asks that you are willing. I'm going to pray for us. Father God, we thank you, Lord, that we have something worth talking about. We thank you that even though we deserve judgment, you sent your son to save us. We praise you that you have a plan for the world and nothing is random. Thank you that you've put each one of us where we'll be today and you are there with us and you have a task for us. Lord, we are weak and helpless. Thank you for your spirit of power who lives in us and can make us bold and equip us. Father God, we're so sorry for the times when fear and pride have stopped us from speaking. We're sorry for the times we've not cared enough to share your wonderful good news. Thank you that you promised to forgive us because of Jesus. Lord, help us today to see the world as you see it, 
to care deeply for those around us and be excited by the gospel so that not to speak about it doesn't make any sense. This is a difficult task, Lord, and we need your help. Amen.